Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have The Bird starring Tippi Hedren, Rod Taylor, Jessica Tandy, and Suzanne Plachette. Based on The Birds by Daphne du Maurier, screenplay by Evan Hunter, and directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time to get on the train, the Hitchcock train, stop number three at the junction. Strangers on a train. Conjunction junction. Uh, what's that function? It's The Birds this week. I like it. <laughs> Strangers on a train would be a good Hitchcock movie to talk about. Yeah. Uh, or Lady, uh, Lady Vanishes. That's mm-hmm. another train movie. Mm-hmm. But from 1963, we got The Birds. This is a big episode. I think uh, when I was watching it last night, um, very much, I'm just right out of the gate, I'm going to tell you, this is a very much a tier two Hitchcock film, monster attack, but it contains some of the most talkable uh, scenes mm. in his entire filmography. I can't wait to get into the weeds of some of these sequences yeah. here. It's going to be a really good discussion. But first, we're going to have uh, pour us out some Weller. This is the Weller Green Label Special Reserve uh, a liter of whiskey. How about that? It's going to take a while to finish this one up. <laughs> exactly. So cheers to you. Cheers to you. Mm-hmm. Love Weller. Weller's a really solid brand. Love it. This one, I get like a nice kind of like apple taste to it. So this one would go good with like barbecue. Blanton's number one for me. Weller number two. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah Old Forester's right there. I know you, top really, three too. you really like the Old Forester and I really like the, the Calumet Farms. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was the other one we did, um, Bib and Tucker. Good one, too. Really like those ones. Those are kind of really the, the real go-tos. But, yeah, we're going to be drinking that a while. Yeah. Let's get started with our flight question. There's no music for you this week, folks, because there is no music. We'll talk a little bit about, you know, why and if it works or not, but why don't you go ahead and hit us with the flight question this week? Flight question this week is putting yourself in any animal attack movie. So you are living in the silver screen for real life, Mm -hmm. which is the animal attack movie you would least like to be uh, present for or be involved in involved with. Okay. Excellent. I hope we get to talk a little bit about that type of movie when we talk about the the film, because I know this isn't something you're particularly fond of, which is... As long as it's not the weather. Sure, yeah, man versus nature. But I'm going to give you kind of an angle on why I really do like this particular subgenre. Well, I'll, I'll save it for a little bit, but when you told me this, I knew my answer instantly. Mm-hmm. I can maybe dabble with some uh, great white shark attacks mm-hmm. or maybe a Lake Placid or... Did you ever see Crawl? Mm-hmm. That was the... Oh, hurt. no, no, I didn't. No, no, no. That was a pretty the good... The new one, yeah. That, that one was pretty good. Uh, but I knew instantly what I do not want to be a part of, mm. and it's 1990s arachnophobia. Yep, <laughs> yep. That weird species of super venomous spider that somehow makes its way stateside. It, every time I watch it, it just gives me the heebie-jeebies. But it's kind of a good movie, too. Jeff Daniels, John Goodman are really good in that. Uh, it's, it's a fun movie, but fun and like a very much anxiety-inducing. I, I, I hate spiders. You know Ooh, this about yes. me, so... <laughs> Good choice. How, I, didn't, I didn't even think of that one. How Jeff Daniels let a gigantic spider just crawl up his entire body at the end of that movie is just beyond me. So, yeah. Yeah. That's my choice. Good one. Um, 
I'm going to take it to size and water mm. and go with Anaconda mm. for the simple fact that that thing is so large and they are so stuck. Um, it's real easy if you can just get to dry land and walk away, but you know, that's fun. Part of the fun of these movies mm-hmm. is rendering the people sort of helpless so that uh, they can't just, you know, absolutely take the battery out of the phone. <laughs> movie's did, over. Did you see that when it came out? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. What a wild movie. John Voight doing like a Venezuelan mm-hmm. uh, per- Peruvian accent. My baby, they're babies. Yeah. Crazy. A uh, bit of a Anaconda reunion with this new J- Jennifer Lopez movie and Owen Wilson, marry me, which is now streaming on Peacock ladies and gentlemen. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> you get your Anaconda <laughs> Anaconda part two. I have these conversations with myself when like actors have been in a movie before and then do another movie together. Like I ask myself, you think they talked about Anaconda while they were filming this movie? <laughs> like, yeah. Hey, that was a wild time. Like, I would hope they would just re- like reference. Hey, you have to. Yeah, you almost have to like, man, Anaconda, that was a crazy ass Such movie. a wild film, right? Exactly. <laughs> the other one I gave some consideration to was um, They, the ant one. Oh, Them. Them, I mean. Yeah. They, that's yeah, that's the Roddy Roddy Piper flick, mm-hmm. I think. Them. Yeah. That, that wouldn't be good either. Yeah, Gigantic Ants. Yeah. Or tarantula, anything from the 1950s that was blown up by nuclear radiation and enhanced in size. Could we include Godzilla in this? <sighs> I, I thought about that because uh, that is kind of a little bit man versus nature, but uh, I was thinking animals, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like animal attacks. Yeah. And just one little anecdote, I think you'll appreciate this. Uh, in elementary school, uh, the Scholastic Book Fair, do you remember that? Sure do. They'd come bring the cases of books and you'd go with your little $5 to go buy a book yeah i bought a book one time it was called grizzly exclamation mark encounters of animal attacks why that was offered for kids i have no idea but it was the best book wow it had like very intricately gruesome detailed accounts of grizzly alligator shark there was some bug stuff in there jesus uh and it really kind of freaked me out. That's how I realized that someone got like a kid got eaten by an alligator in Walt Disney World because you know it's in that it's in the swamp there. So mm-hmm. crazy book, but it made me th- that I hadn't thought about that book in a while until you brought up this question. So thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> yep. But uh, we got a ton to talk about with this episode. Let's not beat around the bush. Let's get right into our review breakdown of the birds. I don't think I'll eat just now. Hardly proper with all of you here. Surely the birds appreciate all we've done for them. Don't you? Beautiful cage, fresh water, no other birds to bother you, none of that blinding sunlight. Oh! Now why would he do that? Most peculiar. What on earth? Hitchcock showing up in the trailer again. I watched it because uh, I, re- I remember that one in particular. It's like a six-minute trailer of him just walking around a room talking about birds. And then you get that moment at the end where you're like, oh, this is like a promotion for a new movie and this is what it's about. Kind of ingenious, but no one's ever doing that today. You know what I mean? Too long, yeah. But you know what? That might be, I would almost prefer that because now when we watch a trailer, I've seen the whole movie. Yeah. In that we, it's Hitch, and then Tippy comes in, 
And we still don't know what the movie's about. Birds, horror, we get it. Yeah. I'm there. It's yep. Hitchcock movie. Um, the opening credits. Uh, the last few films we've had have had some interesting opening credit sequences. Last week we had the great Bernard Herman score and the Saul Bass opening titles. Here, Flock of Birds, Flock of Seagulls. Yeah. <laughs> I ran. Hey, what's up, Flock of Seagulls? Yeah, I ran. Keep chilling. <laughs> I ran. Uh, no music. Uh, Bernard Herman is credited as a sound consultant on this film. Just your opinion. Do you think that's a mistake in this film? Do you think going silent and just relying on bird cawing and sound effects is effective? Or could we have used some orchestral strings at any point? You can say no. And I think there's evidence that supports that with what we saw in Psycho. Mm -hmm. um, and you can say yes equally. I'm fine with it as it is. Uh, the shrieking that they use in the effects with the bird calls and cawing that's um, electrified and <laughs> Peter Framptonized, yeah. even though it's not. But mm -hmm. yeah, it has a score to itself. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, you could use some strings. I could see it. Uh, I think some strings might work, but it's, I, I do think it would be strings and not horns. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, I'm okay with it. How about you? There was a few moments in the movie. I think during the attack sequences, I think, yeah, no, just relying on the sound of the birds was enough. But when she's dropping off the birds at Mitch's uh, house, like there's just a lot of dead sound there. And I thought maybe some just like, doo -doo 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 -doo, mm -hmm. like that could have really just enhanced the material a little bit, made it a little bit more like vertigo. Um, and th there's a few more instances where I thought, man, there should be music right here, but there's not. It's just silence. It's yeah. just the sound. But maybe that's the, what he was going for was just more of an environmental type of sound versus, you know, the diegetic uh, or orchestral music. So mm -hmm. it was just curious. But we start in San Francisco, the side of vertigo. But this time we're introduced to Melanie Daniels. This is Tippi Hedren as she... Now, help me out here. I always was under the assumption that she worked at this bird store. She's just shopping for uh, something, right? Um, Yeah, just shopping there. Yeah. She visits bird stores on Tuesday. Um, That's right, yeah. So she's just a customer that day, mm -hmm. um, although she does take on the role of being employee to mess with Mitch. Yep. Um, Let's get into this quickly. Okay. Rod Taylor and Melanie. Mitch and Melanie. Mm -hmm. Are you buying that as a couple? Uh, maybe uh, a, a little bit, maybe not so much here at the beginning. Cause there is some animosity from Mitch and yeah. he is playing a long kind of game of his own to kind of get back at her for, you know, what's happened to him or, wh or where he recognizes her from. But as the film goes on, I, I start to buy it a little bit more. What I do call into question is what's Mitch's game here. Cause as, as we enter introduce Annie later, is this guy just going from one woman to the next? And like, what is he doing here with all these people and, and really getting them like so attached to him? The reason I ask you that is I think it's the core tenant of what I think makes this film work thematically. Mm -hmm. If you buy Mitch and Melanie as a couple per the aesthetic, like they look like they could be a couple yeah. age relative playing in each other's um, kind of league with <laughs> beauty um, then I think the movie makes a lot more sense. If it doesn't, then it has to find a way to get there. And that can also work too, because the quintessential question or the essential question in this film is, per nature's rules, who are you best suited to pair yourself off with? Mm -hmm. And as you stated, whether it's Lydia or um, mom, Jessica Tandy, mm -hmm. or Kathy, um, 
Pre-alien. <laughs> yeah, Veronica Cartwright. Veronica Cartwright, pre-alien. Spent her whole career just running from creatures. Yeah, like, I include point. Invasion of the Body Snatchers in that one as well. Well, and Vomit Puke from the Devil and uh, Witches of Eastwick, too. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, yeah, he's got a decision to make with which of the women in his birdcage yep. is best suited for him. And so I thought it was an interesting point that I wanted to hear from you was, do you buy them straight up? Not at first, no. Yeah. As we progress and she becomes kind of a little enamored with Mitch and Bodega Bay and this weird situation with his mother and mm-hmm. Annie. Lydia. Uh, uh, especially. Uh, yeah, it gets it gets a lot more interesting. And then her willingness to keep staying because you know, she's ready to go at any moment. I got to be back in San Francisco tomorrow. I can't stay. But she keeps staying. You know what I mean? So she becomes more involved with what's going on here. But I'm going to play a little clip and then we'll kind of get into what thrusts us into the plot of this story. Don't you remember one of your practical jokes that resulted in the smashing of a plate glass window? I didn't break that window. Yes, but your little prank did. Judge should have put you behind bars. What are you, a policeman? I merely believe in the law, Miss Daniels. I'm not too keen on practical joking. Well, what do you call your lovebird story, if not... Oh, I really wanted the lovebird. Well, you knew I didn't work here. You deliberately... Right, I recognized you when I came in. I just thought you might like to know what it's like to be on the other end of a gag. What do you think of that? I think you're a louse. I am. Good day, Miss Daniels. Madam. And I'm glad you didn't get your lovebirds. Oh, I'll find something else. See you in court. So, yeah, they're playing the game right now. They're kind of courting each other, so so to speak. He's using the word court as, you know, law, but, you know, they're kind of feeling each other out here in this opening sequence. But Melanie is interesting. So, you know, she's rich. She comes from money. Her dad owns a newspaper. And yet she seems to spend her time absconding around the globe, getting into hijinks, falling into pools, Blake, breaking plate glass windows. I mean, she's a Kardashian before they're there. Yeah, well they're, said. They're, they ever were, you know what I mean? Perfect, yeah. So she does almost need a little direction in, in her life. And maybe Mitch is able to provide that, that stability. Um, as we begin to talk about cages and confinement with the other characters in the film, she's about to go on, on a quest that I think is entirely fascinating in the opening, like 25 minutes of this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's these lovebirds and we're that they're lovebirds. Is that even like the correct ornithological term for those particular birds? Um, I'm not sure about that, but I do know a little bit about them. I mean, my mother-in-law used to have a pair. Mm-hmm. Strange species of birds. So mm-hmm. they, uh, male, female doesn't matter. It's more about companionship with whomever mm-hmm. they are paired off with. You have to buy two. One will die of a broken heart. And if one of the two lovebirds dies mm-hmm. and you put another lovebird into the cage, it'll kill it. Yeah, they're strange species that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know because I watched it happen a couple times in... My mother-in-law's house. Yeah. And that's kind of what takes place in this film a little bit too. So I think there's three titles in Hitchcock's films that really resonate um, with what the movie's about. The first one's Rebecca. And I think they all are equally interesting because Rebecca's never in the film. Based on the same Daphne, Daphne du- DuMaria. Yeah, yeah. Right. So two by her. Mm-hmm. So Rebecca would be one, a story about a woman who's not in the film, only a spectral remembrance of the woman and the torment that she causes all the players. Mm-hmm. The second has to be Vertigo. Yeah. That movie's about vertigo. Mm-hmm. And the ending is troubling unless you remember that's what the title of the film is. Yeah. This is not trying to be sneaky or surreptitious or clandestine. This is very matter of fact, the birds. Mm-hmm. 
the star of this film is the birds. Strange point of view to take it from because that's a fairly linear creature insofar as brain activity. Yeah. Eat, reproduce, die, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Sleep in there maybe too somewhere. Poop all over everything. Literally. Yeah. (laughs) It's like the four things they do. Yep. Um, You have to remember that as much as Mitch and Melanie are going to dominate the screen time, they have to because that's the creatures that have rational thought and we can have dialogue with and all of the things that the human condition makes for story. Birds don't have any of those things. However, Mm -hmm. they also have a pretty singular focus in this film. And I think if you can remember for everybody out there, I don't mean you, I mean like you, Rai Nation. If you can square with yourself that the title of the film is The Birds, then I think the ending of this movie will make a lot more sense to you. They are the star of the film. From a certain point of view, I would even argue as well that the characters in this film are very much bird-like. For sure they are. Yeah. The way they're dressed, the way they act, the way um, they're confined within their own... You know, the, the line from Psycho should almost be in this film. We're mm-hmm. all confined in our separate cages. Um, problems with mom, too. Yeah. So, exactly. So, yeah. that's, you know, every, the the main characters are, are bird-like. But, you know, she's going to take these lovebirds to Mitch, Mitch's uh, sister, Kathy. A little breaking and entering for a birthday present. <laughs> right? This is crazy. Yeah. I... I, I and the time Hitchcock spends doing this is remarkable to me. Talk about setting the stage for, you know, waiting for the anvil to drop, which is, you know, what are these birds going to attack or when's something going to give? I always trip out about the the birds in the car as they're swaying. Yeah. As she's driving on the highway, just it's so comical. Yeah. But she gets into Bodega Bay. This is, you know, north, north of uh, San Francisco. This is kind of the same area where they filmed The Fog, John Carpenter's The Fog. Charming little Hamlet. Yeah. And, okay, I'm going to go deliver these birds to Mitch. He's not at his apartment. He's in Bodega Bay. I'm going to stalk him to Bodega Bay. She shows up. Where might I find him? Oh, his house is the one across the bay there. You want to rent a boat? Get a boat? What's the sister's name? Or Alice or something. Or like, um, but the name's Kat. So none of them know the name, but... The time he spends going into the general store, renting a boat. You got to wait 20 minutes for the boat to be ready. So she goes up to Suzanne Plachette's house, Annie. What's the little girl's name? Kathy. He wouldn't know. That's why all the mail gets delivered wrongly here. Really setting the stage of the characters. Now the boat's ready. I'm going to go across the bay to Mitch's place. I'm going to spy, wait for him to be hidden, break into his house, put it like maybe leave the birds on the doorstep would have been enough. Literally breaks into the house, puts the birds there, gets into the to the boat, and is like spying to see his reaction. It's like twenty five minutes. It's but it's kind of great. I really like the the setup, uh, and then the payoff when the bird does hit her. Now we kind of realize something's amiss here. Something is out of whack, and uh, I really liked. Uh, is this is just like another? She's into pranks and practical jokes yep. and. This is just like another thing like that for her. Oh, what's his reaction going to be when he sees I snuck into his place? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Remarkable. Like I, I really, I really timed it out. It was about twenty minutes last night. So, what do you think about that? That whole just arrival into Bodega Bay. Yeah, it's certainly planned out and methodical. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the methodical nature does much to move the story in so far as the development of the characters, but you do see, and you do get a really good, comfortable understanding of what makes Melanie tick. Mm -hmm. And the other thing too, the other thing too, that's pretty fascinating in this break in and 
present giving mm-hmm. is her attire. You mentioned the way that they are dressed. Yeah. Her specifically, Rod Taylor, Mitch, a little bit later. Everybody's makes, I think, the mistake that the birds are pissed off at her because she's wearing a fur coat. Yeah. It's a MacGuffin, guys. Yeah, that's... It has nothing to do with anything. I've never thought that. <laughs> right. It's an interesting look, but more so what's really interesting is to take a woman like Tippi Hedren, mm-hmm. a, a, a remarkably looking creature, beautiful woman, mm-hmm. and dress her in lovebird green. Yeah. This is important because the hue of her dress needs to match the lovebirds in the cage that she drops off. And it is to a very, very close hue, the exact same replicant of those same birds. Yeah. Almost like a pea green. (laughs) So if the birds are colored with green and yellow and red, then the bird attacking Melanie is the completion of the three colors that make her the first lovebird. Yes, I think so. What do you suppose me to do that? That's the damnest thing I ever saw. I don't know. It seemed to swoop down at you deliberately. Oh, you're bleeding, too. Let's take care of that. Okay? That's the girl. Come on. What happened, Mitch? Girl hit her. A girl. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, so yeah, you're right. You had the yellow, the red, the red being blood, the blood, yellow, right. yellow being her blonde hair, and then the green being her her attire, her Edith head uh, designed yeah. dress. Yeah, it's yeah, that's exactly what it is. I mean, she's very much supposed to be one of the lovebirds. The other thing that's important, and I hope that some people will listen to this and then go back and, and break this film down, because I think this may be vertigo. Mm-hmm think thematically are the most heavy with metaphor and um, message yeah. that he's and, trying and to get And Psycho last week, that, that one too. Okay. Yeah. If you go back and watch this again, pay close attention to the clothes that the four important women in this movie are going to wear. Kathy's a bit of an exception, but mm-hmm. if you take Lydia, that's mom. If you take Annie, that's the ex that's still kind of pining and hanging on in the middle of nowhere as a school marm. We got to talk about her in a little bit. Yeah. We'll get, yeah. <laughs> and then you take um, Melanie. Mm-hmm. They all have essentially the same hairstyle. And you can disregard that as, well, that was the style in Bodega Bay in 1963. Yeah. But when you start adding the pearls and then you start adding the same version of a dress that they all wear, that is an aged version of the same coloring. Think If Melanie is the bright, shiny lovebird, Mm -hmm. then Lydia, who is the old used up lovebird, has gone gray. I know how to say it other than... It's true. And somewhere in between is Annie. Well, it's she at the birthday party is wearing like a like a forest green. So we're going to get into that. Like I'm sure I'm, that's a very important moment in the movie that um, we'll talk about. I hope, but specifically, Melanie in this one outfit, which I think she didn't give much thought to because it was going to be drop off these birds and then hightail it back to San Francisco and like ha 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 gag done. <laughs> then the yeah the practical joke courting process has begun. I assume. But nonetheless, that's not going to happen. And Why don't you just go tell someone you like them? Yeah, it was so, so much easier. Swipe right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. Not this bird thievery. Or yeah. this bird. Breaking in. Yeah. yeah. Um, all of that appearance is so important. That hairstyle is terrible, Jesse. Mm-hmm. 
But then to put Suzanne Plachette and Jessica Tandy in the exact same hairstyle, give or take it a little bit, like it can't be exactly to the letter. We are working on an approach that is super thematic, and I'm going to say it now. Yeah. You guys, for me in this movie, what makes sense is if the movie's about birds and we're introduced to the first lovebirds, then it is the natural ordering or selection of a suitable mate mm -hmm. as ordained by the animal kingdom. It's not about, does she have nice hips? Does he have wide shoulders? Which come into play with birthing processes for both male and female. Yeah, I like redheads. I like brown. None of that matters. This is what is suitable in the an animal kingdom's world insofar as, frankly, reproduction or procreation to keep the species going. Yeah. That's the crux of this. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into the relationships with Mitch and the four women. That's Kathy, his sister. Remember that, everybody. Yeah. Kathy is not his daughter. How the hell? Yeah. Age-wise. Yeah. Lydia had a kid at 60. I don't know. Yeah. Jessica Tandy is probably pushing at least early 60s in this film. And Annie's 13? Yeah. So 47? Okay. Yeah. That's, if you say so, Alf. Yeah. So that's his I only say sister. that be because Jessica Tandy still has to age another 40 years to be Miss Daisy, and she's pretty old in that movie. Good point. So. That also makes her Kathy's mother, not grandma. Do you know who her husband was? Hmm. Hume Cronin. Oh, I actually did know that. Yeah. 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 He actually did some kind of script supervision on this film when Hitchcock was unhappy with the first draft and was like, hey, pal, Hume. Really? <laughs> Come take a look at this. I, I, I didn't know the relation. I thought that was pretty cool. One of my favorite Hitchcock supporting actors to show up in his films. Oh, yeah. Good one. So keep that in mind. And then we have Annie, the school teacher, who got dumped basically some time ago and just decided to hang around because she sure likes him, likes Mitch an awful lot. Completely psychotic. Uh, first, when Melanie goes to Annie's place to find out what Kathy's name is, she goes, who is it? Me? Yeah, who's me? <laughs> yeah, who's who, who announces themselves like that? That says a lot about Melanie. Yeah, but you don't know. That's kind of that's going to be a little bit of her ruse uh, to to stay here. Mm -hmm. You because Mitch is like already like privy to like what Melanie's. You, you like me, don't you? Like you came all this way, you broke into my house, you left these birds. There's something about you that cares. It's not just practical joke. And she says, "I went to school with Annie. I'm staying with her," which is all a lie. Until later when she goes, can I rent the room for you and 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 stay with you for the weekend or however long I'm here? Yeah. So she goes and has dinner at Mitch's house, and you can already see, you know, the game uh, being played. And so I want to talk about confinement. Bird, uh, just imagine like a bird cage. Okay. So you have the lovebirds in their cage. Yeah. Let's talk about Lydia. So Jessica Tandy, her husband died five years ago, and now Mitch's surrogate, like. Son, husband, yeah, and husband too. Probably not in a sexual way because that would be really icky, but in a man of the house type of way for sure. Mitch works in San Francisco as a lawyer. On the week, every weekend comes up to Bodega Bay. It's hour and a half drive yeah. to come take care of mom and Kathy and make sure the homely state is in order. Mitch is trapped in his own confinement by being obligated to serve mother and not wanting her disapproval to disappoint her. And then to be a surrogate father to Kathy, make sure she grows up. So I think in Mitch's courting process, I think he sees an out with Melanie, 
possibly Mm -hmm. a suitable mate in San Francisco Mm -hmm. where I can stay here and not have to go back every weekend. I think he's looking for a way out because that looks pretty taxing for him. But Jessica Tandy's in her own little box as well, uh, keeping her son like this and then warding off any potential competition that's going to pull that away. And that was Annie first, right? Uh, This ex that Mitch met in San Francisco brought her up there for a weekend and it she did, never left and yeah and just decided to to stay and she's good friends with uh Lydia now but you see the fear Jessica Tandy's really good in this movie in her eyes when Melanie shows uh when she shows up and it's almost like she's I think that they meet for the first time at the diner right when he's kind of cleaning up her head wound oh who's that and you just see the disapproval already yep, yep. I need to get it her out of here. I got to get her out of the thing and no, come to dinner. And you see how nervous and confined she gets that. If this happens, she loses that, that support that, that the, the husbandry support that Mitch is providing. So to say that that's an unhealthy relationship, very is an understatement. Oh my God. Yes. But they all are mm-hmm. right now. Mitch and Kathy, that's his sister. Isn't unhealthy per se, but he's having to fulfill the role of dad. Cause he should be dad per the look and age of the two players. And doesn't Kathy kind of look up to Melanie in a motherly way? We'll get there, yeah. yeah. And when that finally, I think when those roles have been fulfilled and are proper, that's when we see the birds cease to attack. We've got a ways to go before we get there. Well, I think that's happening already. I mean, Kathy's begging Melanie practically, please stay for my birthday tomorrow. It's really set up. I'm going to get sent away, and compl- they're going to complain about a headache, and they're going to bring me back, and everyone's going to jump out surprised. Why would you pine so heavily to have a stranger come to your party that you literally just met? So, yeah. So it's the motherly aspect. The, the problem is Lydia and Melanie mm-hmm. aren't certain they want to take that role on. Mm-hmm. Melanie, I'm sorry, Lydia doesn't want Melanie to play mom or stepmom to Kathy because yep. that's her daughter. Yep. But Lydia should be grandma. And Melanie isn't certain she wants to settle down with Mitch because she's still trying to figure all this out. But in order to settle down with Mitch... She's going to have to get over the hurdle that Annie never did, which is mom breaking you up and you staying in Bodega Bay, pining for a man you're never going to have. And Suzanne Plachette's a you know, very yeah. capable, capable, vibrant woman in this film who literally is wasting away in a one-room schoolhouse <laughs> one in the middle of town. Some, yeah, <laughs> right? Can we talk about that scene? Because it might be my favorite in the entire movie. Sure. So after this dinner that goes pretty okay yeah this is a the birds don't come through the chimney at this this night right this is i think just dinner and they say good night and they're on the telephone wire when mitch is outside i think it's it's the next night when they swarm through like mm-hmm. like a hogwarts uh letter coming through your chimney yeah she goes back to annie's uh, room and board and Kudos to Annie who knocks him and was like, is that you, Annie? Well, if it was like a murder, you're you're dead. <laughs> she just lets people into her house. Yeah. The most Hitchcock of Hitchcockian scenes because, uh, you know, one thing I learned about him was that this guy was a tawdry brandy drinker. And so every character in all these movies are always asking for brandy. So what do they have? They You have a glass of brandy? Oh, yes. Yeah, so I need that right now, please. Mm-hmm. Kind of deconstructing the date. You know what I mean? Yep as you would with like your girlfriend or your friends or whatnot. And what they start talking about is Annie and well, I don't, 
I don't envy you because I've been in a similar situation. I came up here and never left. With an Oedipus reference. Yeah. Whatever. Also not a healthy relationship. Yeah. So unhealthy for Annie to... Why is she staying in Bodega Bay? Is it because she's still holding out that one Mm -hmm. inkling of hope that Mitch will turn around and be like, yes, let's make this happen. Right. On the off chance. Long odds there. So she just decides to take a job, like you said, wasting away in this one horse, this one seagull town, and <laughs> and doing nothing. Right. It's sad almost. I, I feel bad for her character, Me too. but it's her own doing of being complacent to only having eyes for Mitch. Uh, this is, and then what they're talking about, this is like those great Hitchcock scenes of psychoanalytic, you know, sexual... Uh, perversion and just you know the gender everything's just backwards and forwards and all messed up this is that to a t what would you kind of think of this scene yeah exactly it's setting a stage for what's going to be much larger you have to remember the name of the film is the birds and the birds are simple eat find a mate procreate at this point the eating is fine we're not worried about that with our characters that everybody are birds mitch melanie lydia kathy annie are birds Mm -hmm. It's the reason Tippy Hedren's in green. Yeah. And she seems to be the most capable if we're playing by, I guess, the nomenclature that he's already established with the lovebirds and that green. If we can get them paired off, then the birds see that is everything should be okay. But we can't pair them off because there are so many obstacles in the way to Mitch and Melanie being a active, healthy, procreative couple. Yeah. Annie's in the way. Yeah. Lydia's in the way. Kathy's not in the way, but Melanie's got some issues to square with Annie, sorry, Kathy, in order to get to what's going to be, I think, the most fun to talk about in some time, which is, I'm sure, the bedroom scene that you have on here yeah, and the bird squawking. you got that coming up. So, so to answer your question, yeah, like we're, we're setting up some rules that these characters have to play by. And here's the thing also, everybody, none of these people can see, and I mean that, see, vision, can how me- see how, messed up they how are. fucked up their situation <laughs> yeah. is. These are messed up characters, and they're all in denial. And they can't see it. <laughs> they're all in denial, right. yeah. So a bird crashes into her door, and we're just like, that was weird. Yep. Wonder why. Everything fucked up, people. <laughs> yep. yep. So we have Kathy's birthday the next the, the next morning, and this is a crazy scene. I kind of wonder why Hitchcock didn't just shoot on the bluffs, but it's a transition from uh, actual location to a soundstage. Yeah, weird. And then they're talking about her falling into uh, a pond in Rome. And it was like, I didn't, that didn't happen that way. That's what I told the press happened this way. And then we find out that like her mother ran out on her at some point in her life. Mm -hmm. So she's got some mommy issues as well. We don't know where she went. I never had that attachment. Um, You kind of, if you pay attention in these scenes, you you find out a little bit more why everyone's just so messed up. It's just, they didn't have the best upbringings and they had all these things happen to them. And then the birds show up and they can like almost sense this, you know, this tension and this, you know, uh, animosity that these characters are harboring in their souls. Uh, this bird attack is a lot of fun. And strange too, because the one of the hosts of the party yeah. is Annie, yeah. who wasn't allowed to fulfill the role with Kathy as prescribed by the natural look of things. Still on good terms, yeah. Because Lydia and Lydia forced her to break up with Mitch. Yep. Okay, so if you want to play the vision thing one step further, let's talk about when the birds attack. Yeah. A lot of people call this game pin the tail on the donkey, but another name for this is blind man's bluff. Yeah. 
So as these kids have these bandages on their eyes, thus not being able to see another metaphor in this film, not being able to see how screwed up this is. Mm -hmm. The school teacher who was dumped by the ex-boyfriend because mom's made it so is now hosting the party for the daughter that she never had or stepdaughter she never had because mom wouldn't get the hell out of the way. And Mitch won't stand up to her. Mom, back off. I like Annie. Yeah. That's all I had to say. Instead, He's just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> kind of just going along. But in this scene, and this is where you were talking earlier a little bit about um, the attire of these women. Mm-hmm. All three grown women yeah. are dressed the same. Yeah. Necklace, same dress, same hairstyle. Yeah. And there's that great shot when after the birds have attacked the kids and there's a few comedic moments in there. Not you're talking about the 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 robot girl getting picked. kicked out. Yeah, <laughs> she's yeah. Yes, I'm talking about that. But when they get the kids inside, there's a great shot of all, all the women, all four of them. It's not a triangle, yeah. but you get like an aged progression of the suitable lovebirds the trying mi- to the, pair themselves off the, with Mitch. The midpoint and then Melanie's like closest to the door. You know what I mean? Closest to Mitch. All framed within the door frame. It's, it's a good shot. With a bunch of kids at their sides in terrible state of turmoil. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a minute. Okay. I'm not some ornithological expert, mm-hmm. but I do know that if a bird births or hatches another bird that's unhealthy, they pitch it out of the nest. Yeah. We need to remember that. These are the birds trying to square these screwed up relationships with these people. And when the outcome of the relationship produces illegitimate or bastardized results, then they are destroyed. Yeah. That'd be the children, everybody. Mm -hmm. The name of the film is the birds. We're trying to get this from the birds point of view and the natural ordering or selection of processes. So these kids are the ones that are unfortunately going to really get it. Well, some, the adults get it too. Especially in this kind of, uh, in the school scene coming up. But before that, you know, everything's, you know, very strange. You know, now we have all these birds come through the chimney and, kind of crazy to learn there was mostly real birds used in this film so it's kind of gross you know what i mean just birds flocking around you and just attacking you uh so you had that one and then you had the escalation of that so everyone's blaming the bird seed this is what is this freddy's revenge again when the bird exploded uh so they're blaming the guy for the bad bird seed the bad bird feed so jessica tandy goes to this guy's house and this guy's just been attacked by the birds. But then what's been taken from him is eyes. And even this inability to see what's in front of you in the bedroom. I love that shot too. It's just the boom, boom, boom. The like the, the three kind of jump cuts to see the missing orifices. Pretty intense violence for 63 for Hitchcock to be showing like that. We can't really tell. It is. We can't really tell how old the guy is, but because his eyes are missing when we get a good look at him. Mm-hmm. But he seems to be at an age that looks like a suitable match to Lydia. To Lydia, yeah. What also is odd about this is when she walks into the house, very similar to Melanie, doesn't knock on the door, doesn't ring the doorbell. Like, she's been there a few times because she's mm. comfortable enough to just walk in the house. Sure, yeah. The first thing she sees is the china that's destroyed. Mm-hmm. A pretty traditional wedding gift that's given. So the china's destroyed. So we're attacking, like, the domestic ties or representations that we associate with healthy, yeah. positive offspringy relationships. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know about you, but if I was like, if I came to your house, my first eyes, of all, I just wouldn't let myself in. But my, if I did, and, my eyes were out. <laughs> and I couldn't find you, I wouldn't go to your bedroom first. Yeah. But she seems to know exactly where it is and rolls right into the bedroom mm-hmm. 
to find what should be her husband. And I there's just a familiarity with her and comfort that seems to maybe hint at maybe there's a little something there. Yeah. And then we find this man who's not able to see how screwed up the relationship is with Lydia that he has sans eyes on the floor with a great shot of birds on the bed and yeah. stuck in the window and him just being, having been ravaged yeah. by them. Take my eyes, but not the shirt. Very Oedipal too, right? Yeah, like exactly. that Oedipus reference. Literally blinding yourself. Yeah. From the psychological torment that you're besieging yourself on. So, so then we get a weird bit. Cause like Lydia runs out of the house. Yeah, she like runs out all catatonic. Yeah, and then catatonic in bed for like almost the rest of the movie. So here's where things start to change between her and and uh, Melanie, right? Mm-hmm. She's at home in bed in some state of shock because I'm doing quotes around this. You can't see it, but quotes around her boyfriend's eyes being pecked out and his demise. And Melanie's the one that's taking care of her. Yeah. Not Mitch. That seems more appropriate. Yeah. Because she's taking on a daughter or mother-in-law, daughter-in-law role. Yeah, versus son and husband, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. In the bedroom, which the the son, I'm not saying, don't be weird about this. It's but, not, no, no, no. But he shouldn't be in there with her in the bed per the ordering and natural, not weird relationships. Yeah. However, Lydia drops a bomb on Melanie here, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. She basically says, I'm afraid someone's going to steal Mitch, and I'm not even sure I like you yet, so I appreciate you taking care of me. But don't get too comfortable, sweetie, because uh, this may be temporary. I'll stick a bird on you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really laying the cards out there. I mean, that's interesting for Hitchcock, too, because everything is just so understated and so hidden in a lot of his films. You yeah. know, what the characters are feeling and acting that Lydia just kind of comes right out and says it. She tells him. Yeah. She tells Melanie, like, I need Mitch. Like, I don't know what I would do without him. And I'm scared that someone's going to come along and steal him from me. She yes. literally tells her. Yeah. I have a question for you. Okay. I know that Melanie and Mitch are kind of the two that we're going to take uh, an interest in and by default become the active protagonist in this. Mm -hmm. Who's more the antagonist, the birds or Lydia? It's Lydia. It is. It absolutely is. I mean, the birds are going to wreak havoc on this town here in just a second, but it's Lydia. The havoc Lydia is wrecking psychologically, emotionally, physically (laughs) on these people in her life is troubling. troubling. You know what I mean? If it's, she could get locked up in like a psych ward for kind of the games that she's playing with her own children. Family. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what's always really tripped me out about this film is just how untrustworthy Lydia is until the last shot of the movie. Right. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll kind of get to that where she kind of kind of comes around and everything's really come full circle. And then we'll, we'll get to it. But at this point, we're we're full on in Attackville in Bodega. And Bay. everyone's like, this is strange. This is weird. We don't know why it's happening. And then we get this. Everyone, you're going to have this little ditty stuck in your head all week. And these kids sing like Tony verses of this song. It's a weird song. The tension. Why why is Hitchcock the master of suspense? It's a scene like this because as she comes to warn uh, Annie about these attacks attacks and what's going on, 
She goes out for a little smoke out by the playground and then just kind of not really paying attention. The birds are amassing behind her. On the playground equipment, mm-hmm. on the jungle, on the monkey bars, jungle gym. That shot of the one she follows that's like uh-huh. falling and then she sees and there's just like a hundred of them. And she's like, oh my God, like seriously, like, and now we got to get these kids out. Let's get out slowly. Let's like not panic. The slow burn. I mean, Hitch is really good at just the slow burn tension build of, you know, these things are going to attack, but like just waiting for it to happen. I mean, we talked about it last week in Psycho. Rear Window has some great moments, too. This is another just great moment of just building that tension. And then these kids at the, at the last second, they're like, run! And then they run down the street, and, and these birds give them hell. <laughs> yeah, the birds give them hell. We knock the girl's glasses off. She first, can't see. First, I mean, now, I mean, it's they're not great effects by today's standards. I mean, we have CG characters now. Maybe they are better than today's standards yeah. for that matter. Yeah. 63, this ain't bad. I mean, this right. this looks pretty good for when it came out. Much like we talked about last week too with Psycho when um, Norman shows up in the bottom or in the fruit cellar and he's got that Joker-like dress on. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, and so how that might elicit a humorous response from the audience. This, I think, could do the same thing until you think about what that would be like. Oh, horrible. Here's the problem with birds, everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, other than I wildly hate them, and not because of this movie, just because they're filthy. And an incident with a terrible goose as a youth at the petting zoo at the <laughs> state fair one time that took a big chump out of my, like a big chump out of my ass. <laughs> anyway, um, really did. You know the ones with like that? I do. The, yeah, that yeah. knob thing on their beak. Yeah, they suck. Oh, he bit the shit out of me. Yeah. Anyway, they have a superior position. Like, flight. Any, yeah, any war strategy revolves around one thing, get a superior position because you get this thing called gravity working for you. The birds have a superior position. Now, you might argue a sparrow has no shot against you. You're right. 100 sparrows. (laughs) 100 and gulls and ravens and crows are much larger birds. Blackbirds. Dude, gulls are big. Yeah. The wingspan of gulls is like three or four or five feet. Mm Mm-hmm. So if these all descend upon you, you are limited by these two legs. They can attack. There's many more of them. And the sheer numbers and lack of adherence to gravity that they benefit from put you at a ridiculous disadvantage. And that's where the humor stops for me. It might look funny until you think about, my God, that would be awful. My parents uh, used to have like a hawk that would like Ooh, wow, fly the neighborhood. And cool. they had a like... Not teacup size, but like small Yorkshire Terrier. Oh, no. That hawk would grab that dog and have it for an appetizer. Sure. Just pick it up and then just like drop it. I mean, that's like, that's the fright of birds. You know what I mean? Like, imagine them, 100 of them. No way. So then, yeah, no, that's terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. So these kids are trying to just get to some shelter. And Annie and Kathy and maybe her friend, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Find an open car. And they jump in the car because at least there's some shelter from the birds. Melanie, Kathy, and a friend. Yeah. Did I say Annie? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Annie just keeps going. And we never see her again until we Oof. find her. Yeah. yeah, we find her. They can't see out of the glass, Jesse. Mm. They're in that car. So trapped in a cage if you want to play that. Yep. I like that. Yep. And then the birds are swarming around them and they can't see out of that. We've also gone to the bit where the girl is running down the hill and her glasses fall off and shatter and she can't see. So yep. we're still playing with that theme of not being able to see. Yep. Think about who's rescuing these girls. Yeah. It's not the police. It's 
scorned ex-girlfriend and possible maybe future girlfriend taking care of what was neither of their daughters. Prankster media socialite. Yeah, right, exactly. (laughs) Taking, like, if you just want to do Kathy, their maybe stepdaughter, hopefully, again. It was a mess. Right. It's it's so messy. And I like the cage thing because the phone booth is going to be another bird cage here in just a little bit as well. Oh, get us there. Take us there. Yeah. So this attack, okay, so this is the biggest one yet. Yeah. So she goes to town and she calls dad like, dad, this, there's a story up here in Bodega Bay. You might want to cover it. I could just picture him on the other end. What are you even talking about? Just how lowly he thinks of his daughter because he just doesn't believe her at all. Yeah. And I said the other scene was my favorite scene. This might be my favorite mm-hmm. scene of the film. So in comes this woman and she's talking about birds. I don't know, blackbirds or crows. Uh, the bird expert. They're all the same. They most certainly are not the same. Ornithology happens to be my avocation. Birds are not aggressive creatures, miss. They bring beauty into the world. It is mankind's right. Sam, three southern fried chicken. (laughs) Baked potato on all of them. Make it five, please. May I speak to Mitch Brenner, please? Yes, I'll wait. It is mankind, rather, who insists upon making it difficult for life to exist upon this planet. Now, if it were not for birds... Mrs. Bunsy, you don't seem to understand. This young lady said there was an attack on the school. Impossible. Oh, Mitch. Oh, I'm glad I caught you. Something terrible is It's the end of the world. Two Bloody Marys, Deke. What actually happened at the school? A bunch of crows attacked the school kids. It's the end of the world. Thus saith the Lord God unto the mountains and the hills and the rivers and the valleys. Behold, I, even I, shall bring a sword upon you, and I will devastate your high places. Ezekiel chapter 6. I love scenes in movies and TV where everyone's kind of having their own conversation with themselves, but it's all part of the greater narrative. And in here you have the bird expert talking. She ends up talking about in North America alone, there's a hundred million birds in the world. That's 300 to 400 million. The waitress is trying to take orders for Southern fried chicken and bloody Mary's. The cook wants to know what's going on. You have the drunk uh, soothsayer over here, the doomsday prophet who may as well have a sign that says the end is nigh. You have the mother with her two kids who's freaked out of her mind. And then little Johnny uh, is like, are the birds really going to eat us, mom? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's so much going on. And Melanie's trying to talk to her dad on the phone and try to tell the truth, the truth in between all the bullshit. And everyone's talking over each person. I love it. I love it so much. I, I just love how chaotic it feels. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you're talking about emotional chaos and what the birds are going to bring for how these people are acting here in, in, in this diner, this is great. Sir, will you lead us to the highway? Sure. Let me finish my drink first. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, I'm glad you brought that up. That's big. Mm-hmm. This woman needs help getting her family home. And this guy comes in by himself. Yeah. Again, from the bird's point of view, he should be protecting her and those two kids. Yeah. And she needs help getting them home because she's scared. And he puts her on the back burner till he can finish his drink. And boy, do they make him pay. Yeah. Oh, he that dude gets it bad. <laughs> like literally light him on fire. Yeah. Burn him in effigy. Mm-hmm. If you want to play the role of broken relationships and what's working and wasn't, then this guy is the poster boy for things sure. you should not do. Yep. And that's not look after your woman and your and your children, essentially from the bird's POV. And man, do they make him pay. Because he wants, like, they just want to get home. Yeah. Got to finish my drink. I haven't finished my drink yet. Yep. And all hell breaks loose. 
all hell breaks loose. This scene is great. I love. I've always loved it. You know, as a kid, seeing the birds, this is what I wanted. Yeah. I didn't want all this analytical psychoanalytical tension in my movies. I wanted to see some bird action. And the birds, okay, so this guy, a few birds attack, like, the gas station attendant. They have to go get him. And then they swarm. And this guy's, the the, 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 the gasoline's leaking all over the, the, dry, uh, the, the road here. This guy's got to load up a cigar before he goes and takes the women yeah. down the road. And he just explodes. And can we talk about Melanie's, uh, for quick shot reaction to the 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 flames <laughs> very bird like yep. you know have you ever seen a bird do like mm-hmm. this is like Goldblum as the fly you know very jerky motions i mean the, the a bird has is very much its head on a swivel yep. that's what she does here i mean everyone laughs at this scene i remember when we watched this in class everyone sees like this here watch, watch me do melanie like it's <laughs> it's so preposterous, but it's how a bird would act. You know what I mean? A bird's reaction to the exact same sequence. So that explodes, and then we get that great bird's eye view of them swarming down on, on the city. Why Melanie chooses to leave the diner, I'll never understand, but she runs out. It's chaotic, so she holds up in a phone booth, and she tries to get out a few times, and birds are trying to get in there with her there's too many of them great moment of tension i mean they're about to break this thing down and that guy comes and he's all cut up and bleeding and everything Mm -hmm. chaos i mean this is just remarkable that birds are causing this and everyone's like what's going on here this is crazy no one believed her a second ago but then when we get back into the diner and everyone's demeanor has changed uh completely why are they doing this why are they doing this they said when you got here, the whole thing started. Who are you? What are you? Where did you come from? I think you're the cause of all this. I think you're evil. Evil! Mm. Crazy. I mean, everyone's, you know, really changed now. They're really kind of seeing the environmental ramifications of someone's possible appearance yeah. and what that has. Is it time? Is, is it time to tell why, why the birds have uh, attacked Bodega Bay? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's do it. I think the evidence that we've kind of really it's stated there. that really clearly here. The birds are not happy with Mitch and the women that are trying to pair themselves off with him. So until all of the people that are all of the possible lovebirds to pair themselves off with Mitch can be in their proper order. Things are not going to work. That means Jessica Tandy, Lydia needs to be okay. Mother grandma. Mm -hmm. Melanie needs to be mother, sister-in-law or mother, daughter-in-law, stepmom, mom. Mm -hmm. Annie needs to just be out of the way. Yeah. Out of the picture. And Kathy needs to be daughter and granddaughter. Yep. So some of that's not doable because the relationships biologically won't allow it, but the look of it will help. Yeah. And I think the first evidence happens with Annie. Yeah. Let's do Annie. Yeah, just pecked to death on the steps. <laughs> so, yeah, um, with her eyes pecked out. And what's a really strange way, it almost looks like she's kind of left raped. Yeah. Which her legs are spread. And um, I guess the good news is uh, for her, um, this terrible life she's living has has ceased and she doesn't have to chase Mitch anymore. But 
what's important is what they do with Annie after the birds have killed her. What they do with Annie after the birds have killed her is Mitch picks her up and carries her across the threshold of the house. Mm-hmm. A pretty traditional action for husband and wife as they enter the new domicile and begin their domestic lives together. I think he gives her the closure that she wanted, not in a way that's going to matter because she's not around anymore, but at least at this point, that uh, uncomfortable or unfortunate relationship has been dealt with, and one of the challenges is out of the way. Yeah. I mean, and I think there is a bit of a natural rivalry between Melanie and Annie as well for Mitch. A rivalry and like a friendship. It's the rivalry to friendship. The rent relationship's very strange. It's it's almost why would Annie be so nice to Melanie when she's after your man? You know what I mean? I I'm not sure about this either, but it's pretty close to this point when Mitch carries Annie into the house where the color of his pants changes too. Mm. He goes from I think what is mostly gray slacks the whole time into a matching green cargo pant that is the same color as Melanie's ugly green dress. He is wearing cargo pants. He has green ones. He has like pockets that are like all outstretched. So when he puts the green on, that means that they're getting closer. Yeah. Okay, so then now what? Yeah, down the hatches, Andy bar the door and pray to God they don't attack us until they fly away. Patting down the hatches, at this point, get out of the house. You know what I mean? Yes. I mean, the highway's literally a road over. Go to San Francisco and be done with it. Mm -hmm. But no, we're going to stay here in the domestic squabbles of Bodega Bay and hole up and wait, wait to ride this out. Um, I thought that was peculiar. Uh, a, a phrase that you and I say much too frequently uh, doing this show, this movie's about 20 minutes too long. Yeah. Like an hour 40 birds movie, perfect. It's just a two-hour movie, ladies and gentlemen. And it starts to drag a little bit around here for me uh, to the point where I was dozing off a little bit yeah. last night. I've seen this movie 10 times, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. It's long. But this kind of last attack on the house and, you know, you know, the mother's trying to, you know, come to coherence, but it really boils to this scene, you know, they're not really hearing the birds a lot. So Melanie goes upstairs and she goes into the, you know, the upstairs, you know, bedroom, you know, the, the, the master bedroom and throws her flashlight. And what have the birds done? The birds have burrowed a hole, a hole through the, the roof of the house and when she shines the light on them, they all just start flocking her. You want me to play the audio and then we'll we'll talk about it? Yeah. Okay. That sound is very effective, so I got to give you know Hitchcock credit for that. For when it's in mass and volume, it's it's very effective. But this scene's wild. This scene is like, yeah, it's an attack, it's an assault, it's a bird assault. But as with horror, I mean, we talked about this with the shower scene in Psycho, how it's very phallic, very penetrative, can be sexual connotations uh, to some extent. I mean, this is the same thing. Here, in this scene. Oh, Mitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's any place in the house that she could go into. Yeah. 
for this attack. They choose to do the bedroom. Yep. Almost serving a warning like, you are not allowed on this bed until things are right in this house, young yeah. lady. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that is sort of subtle, the orgasmic cries that she's bellowing out mm-hmm. during this bird attack are not. If you want to go with the theory that the unhealthy offspring of bad relationships has to be dealt with by the birds, and this is your best evidence right here. Yeah. That bed or any bed is not a place that we're going. And they literally are guarding the bed. They are all over the bed. I know. Yeah. You're not going on this bed. You're not going to bed down. You're not going to procreate with Mitch. Um, And then, like you said, with the sound there, um, it's pretty clear that uh, that is sexual in nature. Brutal. And she she gets it. And it's it's like a vicious scene visually. Now, what part of, you know, there's, you know, everything that's been said about Hitchcock and Tippi Hedren's relationship, you know, like what he thought of her and how he really wanted her. (laughs) Is this, you know, any type of, you know, scene like that, that he's, he's putting in this film too, like kind of like really, I don't want to say abusing, but like really giving his actor, you know, a real hard scene to do here. Yeah. Spurning your advances. Yeah. It, it, it's it's more full fledged. We could talk about that more if we eventually do Marnie because it's had happened more behind the scenes uh, of that film. And HBO made a movie called The Girl, I believe. With mm-hmm. was that Sienna Miller and mm-hmm. Toby Jones? Yep. It kind of goes into a little bit more, but it kind of started here. But as you kind of stated, I mean, T.P. Hedren's a very very beautiful woman. So um, I just kind of wonder. I was like, yeah, this is the director really just putting his actor through the ringer with this really kind of intense sequence. You know what I mean? Yeah, so back to the, right, the thematic idea of these people can't see how screwed up their relationships are, and until they can see the birds are going to attack Mm -hmm. is also pretty foretelling because that's sort of what Hitchcock is struggling with right now, too. Yeah, looking for a suitable mate. (laughs) Well, or just the constant pursuit of unattainable women for him. There you go, yeah. And, like, it does seem to come to a head with Tippy. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's plenty of stories. Uh, Kim Novak had a couple. Um, there's there's some stories about there about some maybe eyebrow-raising moments or social mm-hmm. situations that they found themselves in with Hitchcock. Yeah. But according to Tippi Hedren, like, he tried to force her to give him head. Yeah. Um, like, pushed her head down. So the question then is, why would you go back and do another film? But, um, and then the answer to that is, because you pretty much don't have a career, and she pretty much didn't after Marnie. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he like, he like kind of rope her into like a contract, like a seven year contract to do to do films like that. Like it, it happened more in Marnie. That's a freaking mess. Wild. That's a wild movie in itself. Yeah, but no, nah, I'm just curious. I mean, just because you know, the, 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 there's all that kind of lore about about this and that, but it's a crazy sequence. It's when I was watching it, it it was. So I told you, I was like, I started dozing off a little bit last night, but then this scene happened. I was like, like right back up, right back up. Cause this is the scene. This is like where it all comes to a head. So post attack, everyone's nursing her, trying to get her back to health on the radio. They're saying the birds are attacking. The military is going to intervene a pure disaster movie lore. And then they open the door. Like we got to get out of here. Like we can't stay here. Like this is a death trap. So, they open the door and the birds are just docile, yep. silent, yep. not attacking. All is well, and it's that moment when we get in the in the back of the car, and she kind of rests her head on Lydia. Yep, and she smiles and kind of puts her arm around her. 
that's when you know all is well, that this really messed up situation is kind of fixed. When they get out of the house, the people are that are still alive are in the roles that they're supposed to be in. Yeah. Lydia is acting like a mother, grandma, yeah. mother, mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Melanie's acting like, I guess, mom, wife, mother or daughter-in-law. Kathy's granddaughter, daughter, and Mitch's dad, husband, father, brother, not brother. Yeah. So the birds see that and like the evidence that is right there. They don't attack at all. And there's thousands at this point. They're everywhere. The argument sometimes posed is, well, they attack because they're pissed off at Melanie for having two birds in the cage. Like their brother and her held in a cage. That's so stupid. They walk the birds in the cage right through them and they don't attack. That's clearly not it. Ladies and gentlemen, if you listen to the last two episodes and then the previous Hitchcock cast, that guy's too smart to just have something so so stupid. So simple. You know what I mean? No way. Right. They attack because the birds are in a cage. They got to save the birds. No, no. it's it's going to be something Freudian. <laughs> right. It's going to be something messed up, something that this guy's going through in his own head too. Yeah. All his messed up domestic relationships in his life. You know what I mean? So, Again, the mother thing, that trips me up too. Mm-hmm. I want to know more about Hitchcock and the relationship with his mother because last week and then Rear Window, what happened there? And why is this this weird psychosexual tension with that aspect? Well, Marty, too. Yep. Yeah, he's going through a thing with that. Something. Yeah. I've never read a good Hitchcock biography, so I don't know, know of like which one like would, could give me evidence to that. I've looked into that a couple times, and there's not a lot of evidence out there for him having a strained relationship with his mother. It's kind of like the same thing with Walt Disney. I mean, and why, why all the mothers in Walt Disney's early animations like bite the bullet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what's he going through? Good point, yeah. Um, so Hitchcock endings, they drive off movie ends. How does this in Hitchcock is, is he getting out ahead of time? Do you need more explanation? I mean, maybe on initial viewing, you're probably like, wait, what the hell? Mm -hmm. But when you think about it, it's probably enough, but the movie just ends. There's not even at the end. It just universal international pictures. Beta. Go, go get to your car and leave the theater. (laughs) Kind of like vertigo. Just like vertigo. Vertigo secured. Scotty looking over the edge. Movie cuts to black. The end. Birds are okay. I kind of like that. I do too. You know what I mean? I hate. hate. Exception, Return of the King, where it ends about four or five times, and I'm okay with each one of them because you're wrapping up. A lot of story. An epic. Mm -hmm. When films really try to tack on an additional thing that I already know is going to happen, and of course they're going to get together, or of course this is going to happen, I don't need that. I like ambiguity. Yeah. This is that to a T. So yep. you leave the theater, you left to figure out what's going on here. So, and one last thing before, just a couple questions for you about this film. You know, so Animal Attack movie, it's 1963 Hitchcock. This is kind of the beginning of like a downward in quality and film interest spiral that I have with him as well. Now it's Torn Curtain and Marnie, Torn Curtain, Topaz, fam- uh frenzy family plot and yeah very much less interested i've always thought that the birds could make for a pretty good remake if done under the right circumstances sure. and i'm just surprised that that's never happened there is a sequel though and i watched it recently uh it's called the birds to lands end man i'm not joking when i say this it makes manos the hands of fate look like a good movie oh wow it's that bad, huh? so bad and she's in it Really? Tippy Hedron plays like the owner of like a general store in it. 
And they oh. try to do like a nefarious affair and those like same things. But it was directed by someone we've talked about on this podcast before, Rick Rosenthal. Mm-hmm. He directed Halloween 2 and hated it so much that he removed his name and went with the Alan Smithy credit. <laughs> wow. It's horrible. It's just like, how did Universe, the person who ever pitched that idea, they got fired. There's no way they kept their job. <laughs> yeah. So if you're curious, everyone, Birds 2 lands in. Maybe give it a watch or not. It, or not. it was terrible. Okay. What's your favorite tasting note of the birds? Um, it's the scene with the birds on the uh, jungle gym outside. It's, good. it's a good moment. Really good fuse that he lights for that bomb. I had two and I was watching. I was just really, and I think I watched them twice because I really enjoyed the scene so much. One was Annie and Melanie and the brandy deconstruction of Mitch's mom. I got to go with the diner scene because that's just like disaster movie prototype of what those scenes would become of people talking over each other. Everyone's crazy. Everyone's an expert. Everyone doesn't know what the hell's going on. And it's just chaos. Like mm-hmm. I loved it. I love the little, the bird expert lady. Yeah. There's very much a difference. 400 million birds in the, around the world. <laughs> yep. So good. Okay. What's the oh my God! moment of the birds where we got to have some more weller to just wash our taste of that moment. Uh, the farmer with the eyes pecked out. Pecked out farmer eyes. I think I'll go with Annie on the stoop. It's <laughs> a good one. Just the aftermath. Both those deaths. I mean, we don't even get to see a close-up of Annie's face to even confirm that it's her. You know what I mean? It's just the kind of the disrespect there of mm-hmm. we must get her out of the equation. Yeah. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. And th- that scene too. I love the yeah. and we see his eyes. Who's the master distiller on the birds? It's Hitchcock. Uh it- what a technical achievement to get these birds going. Technical, yeah. And build something that was this large with animals. Um, that's a a big, 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 big endeavor. So, yeah, I'm going to give it to him. I'm going to give it to Tippi Hedren. Okay. Uh, I think she's hateable at the beginning, and she needs to be. Mm-hmm. She needs to be a, like a spoiled brat, socialite. We don't want to like her. But then as the film progresses, we kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of... I'm kind of okay with her. And then as she starts to get to Mitch, yeah, I can kind of buy this. And then at the end, we're like, oh, my God. Like, I don't want her to see her go. And mm-hmm. her in danger, like, that, like, absolutely works. And then the final moments with her, I think I think it's a good performance uh, from her. And this had to, this was her first film role. And then this and Mario's. And then Birds too. Never seen her in another movie before. So right. this is kind of it. Yeah. The mother to, or to Melanie Griffith. The grandmother to Dakota Johnson. So that family lineage continues to this day. Did you hear Dakota Johnson's going to play Madam Web in a Spider-Man movie? No. Yeah. They're going to go with Madam Web. They're going to do it. Yeah. Mm. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Uh, The word on the street is out yet on Morbius, so we'll still have to wait for that one. Probably coming soon on this podcast. Yeah. But how are you going to rate and grade the birds? Rock gut, well, call, single barrel, or top shelf? Top shelf. Amazing film. I love it. Is this in your upper echelon of Hitchcock? Top five. I think it's his smartest film. Um, I also think it's what perplexes people about it because the ending just seems to be leaving you so high and dry. Or the lack of answers. But they're there. If yeah. you if you want to dig, they're there. Yeah. If you believe the relationship theory and not being able to see her there, then you're good now. Maybe people were expecting a psychologist scene like the end of Psycho, or like and the birds attack because mother was messed up. They're transvestites. 
exactly. That scene is lacking in this movie. Thank God. And I think that does trip up people of the why. Yeah, there's, you know. People want to know why. Audiences want to know why. I would watch my students year after year after year, every time, give the shoulder shrug, the proverbial like, wait, what? And then it was 20 minutes to talk them off the ledge about, (laughs) wait a minute, hold on, let's, and maybe you don't want to put that much work into what's just a natural disaster film, and I'm fine with that, but then this is not the film for you. Talk them off the ledge, that's good. How about you? I didn't get to mention this because, you know, we got so into talking about the plot of this film, but. Why I like these movies, Man versus Nature, which I know is just something you don't go to, whether it's a tornado or a thing, I think more than any other film genre, I feel like that's something that's actually plausible that could happen, that you might have to go and experience. Like, I think of Earthquake and what the people go through in that movie, and you're like, yeah, of course nature's going to win because they're going to bring out L.A. into the freaking ground. But as a viewer, I'm like, how would I react to, like, having to survive in that kind of earthquake. So there's a bit of a buy-in on the realism of those particular movies compared to a ghost or a zombie film. You know what sure. I mean? So yeah. that's why I've always liked them is the the plausibility of, yeah, this is probably more likely to happen than like Avengers Endgame. <laughs> yeah, more likely. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. What are you going to rate this film? Single barrel. Like okay. I said early, this is kind of like there's tier one, tier two, and there's a tier three. Mm-hmm. This is tier two. But high tier two. It's high tier two for me. Yeah, this is, again, I didn't think, I was like, this is a tier two Hitchcock film with some of my favorite scenes in all of his films. There's so much to talk about here and dissect, and I love that aspect about it. Um, as a kid, I wanted yeah, I wanted some bird attack action and pluck some eyeballs out, but as you know, I got older and watched it more times, it was, we figure out what's going on in this thing, and yeah, there's some messed up stuff going on in this film, and that's what I love about it, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, single barrel. This is a unique film. Hot take as well, but I already said it earlier. This is his last like amazing movie that he made in his career. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that is that is what it is for the birds. Yep. Don't go see Birds Two Lands End, everybody. But let's wrap this up with a nightcap. Thanks, Bernard Herman. No music. Mm. <laughs> uh, okay, so wrapping up this episode, you know, Hitchcock was really good at suspense, thriller, uh, horror-esque films, animal attack. This is kind of like a horror suspense movie. Uh, and he did some dramas, but everything had kind of like a suspense twist. Mm-hmm. Even Saboteur is like a spy film. It's a suspenseful movie at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is, any film genre that is up for the taking. What do you think uh, is a film genre that Hitchcock could have succeeded if he went there? Comedy for sure. It'd be dry and that British mm. dry style. So like Monty Python? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think all the, the markers are there. Uh, he was not slapsticky, but like you said, with the birds and there, like he does have, there's some moments in, in all of his films. Yeah. There are some moments. Yeah. Um, speaking of Hume Cronin, Hume Cronin has a bunch of great lies and lines in um, Shadow of a Doubt. Yeah, well, we're gonna do that movie one day. <laughs> so yeah, I would go with I would go with comedy. Interesting. I didn't even consider that. Yeah, you're right. It would be dry Brit comedy, but I kind of like dry Brit. Comedy. I think I'd love it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very like I said, Monty Python esque, but maybe not as like ridiculous. Right. But a little more like kind of straight and in line. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, 
I kind of like looked at like the technical aspects of what Hitchcock was like really good at, which was like special effects and like really trying things and for the first time. And he never made one, you know, lifeboats may be an exception, but I'd like to see Hitchcock dabble into some like war movies, like maybe the extent of like what Nolan did with Dunkirk saving private Ryan just to see the technical aspect of what does a war movie look like in Hitchcock's eyes. That's good. Uh, think that could be pretty interesting uh and just on a scale and scope it'd probably be a lot bigger than anything he had, he had ever done so yeah it was either that or i gave some consideration to film noir uh mm-hmm. i don't know if he ever like truly did like a true true film noir like the way billy wilder and mm-hmm. john houston did i kind of thought the themes were there for him for the taking <laughs> well i would argue your favorite hitchcock film is a film noir which one vertigo yeah in a way yeah yeah I mean, it's not black and white, and there's not the narrative piece, but that's a femme fatale if there ever was one. You're, not it, not it's not to the letter, but you're right. I'm thinking like a black and white. Yeah, like no. I want like a detective, like on a case. That, that, that's what the vertigo is. But I like I want some like insurance scam. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I want like a double double indemnity done by Hitchcock is probably an amazing movie. Ooh man, which is crazy because that's already that a amazing top movie. movie <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, that's a wrap on, on The Birds from 1963. Go check it out. I mean, if you've never seen The Birds, what? Mm-hmm. But we've extended the Hitchcock cask ahead of time to go one more week, and then we'll have a new release we're going to talk about the week after that. Um, but it was brought up because I just brought up the movie, and you got so into it. We got to do it now. So mm-hmm. 1946, Notorious. Yep. Cary Grant, first-timer on the Rice Mile Film Club. Ingrid Bergman, first-timer on this film club. Claude Rains, not his first time on this show. No. Or first time mentioned on this show, for that matter. This is going to be a great discussion. I can't Uh, wait. This is very much different than the three films we've talked about. Now we're looking at espionage, spy, thriller from Hitchcock post-World War II, one year after World War II. This is going to be wild. I watched it recently. It's great. I'm going to watch it again. This, This movie's a lot of fun every everyone i can't wait to watch it this week also excellent so good i might actually make my daughter sit down and watch it with me there you go yeah excellent well you have that coming to you so cheers to you cheers jesse cheers i gotta get going uh i gotta go uh deal with some pesky birds but before we go i'm gonna show you a picture of an owl if you've never seen a picture of an owl hairless without its fur your life's gonna be changed forever i'm gonna be calling my therapist (laughs) you will be excellent but we'll see you all next week everybody have a good week everybody we'll see you in the dark thank you for listening to rye smile films be sure to subscribe to us on apple podcasts spotify podbean stitcher tune in or wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there it really helps out the show and for rye smile films merchandise go to tpublic.com The Birds is property of Universal International Pictures and Alfred J. Hitchcock Productions, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.